Welcome to Church Ahead, the weekly Christian podcast talking about big questions facing the future of church with Rev L all the way from the north of England. Episode 53, Justin Welby, Top Man Canterbury. We looked last week at the Archbishop of York and as much as it pains me to say it, the Archbishop of Canterbury ranks above York in the Church of England, Southern Prejudice. We climb to the dizziest heights of the Church of England today with Justin Welby, who's just clocked up a decade in post as Archbishop of Canterbury. And what a job, what a basket full of jobs. Patron, diocesan bishop, head of Anglican Communion, House of Lords, managing the bishops, The Archbishop of Canterbury has so many responsibilities, it's not an easy job to get a handle on. So where shall we begin? Let's start with something he seems to be good at. He's a sort of unofficial chaplain to the royal family. You can see how good he is at their set-piece events, like the coronation. His effort to introduce an affirmation of the king slightly misfired, but he must be good at the subtle behind-the-scenes negotiation because they obviously trust him. The king asked for Welby's help in sorting out the mess of his sons and their family tensions this year. So that's quite an achievement in its own right. I'm not sure I could see Justin Welby sorting out family problems on, let's say... A housing estate in Liverpool where he was dean or in Durham where he was bishop. Now I wonder what might give him a help into gaining the prince's trust. Oh, let me see now. They all three of them went to the same school. And in fact, Charles would have gone there too if his mother and Uncle Dickie had had their way. Talking of the same school, when this country faced the pandemic in 2020... Both the Archbishop of Canterbury and the Prime Minister leading us through this crisis had what in common? They'd both been to the same school. In fact, we've had 20 Prime Ministers from that school and Welby's hardly their first Archbishop. What's this school called? It's a two-syllable word. First syllable is the fifth letter of the alphabet and the second syllable is what it costs. That's to say a tonne. And so I mark myself out as a pleb for even mentioning the vulgar subject of money, which does not even begin to explain how exclusive this school is. Both Justin Welby and Boris Johnson went to Eton College. And what this school is famous for is producing boys who think they're natural leaders born to rule. Now, I don't think Justin Welby is arrogant or entitled But what Etonians excel at has done him no harm. What is their most notable skill, which was put on the stage during the pandemic? It's the ability to bull, B-U-L-L, to which some would add a rude word beginning with S. To stand in front of TV camera, sounding very sure of yourself as you tell people what to do. Confidence, certainty, ruling, bullying. Sounding right when you know you might well be wrong. And in the humble opinion of this South Chattertonian, both Etonians got it wrong. 
Now, we'll leave the Prime Minister alone for today. What did the Archbishop of Canterbury get wrong? His pandemic sin of commission was to close the churches down. He cooperated with the relegation of Christian worship to a dispensable hobby rather than our spiritual emergency service, essential in the crisis of life. He took a chunk out of Christianity, out of an already ailing church. I fear he did more for church decline in one year than he will achieve for church growth in all his years as Archbishop. Was it really beyond the wit of man to adapt church to the public health risks, such as outside worship with social distance? And according to the spectators Damien Thompson, he and the Catholic top man Vince Nichols asked the government to ban public worship so they could claim they were only following government guidelines. I suppose the defence would say that he was only one religious leader amongst many and the same rules applied equally to mosques and synagogues but I suspect his was the voice the government listened to. In my view, he made a catastrophic misjudgment and this is a terrible failure of leadership. Now, to be fair to him, he's owned the mistake and apologised and to his credit, that is not a very Etonian thing to do. But for me, his pandemic sin of omission is even worse. He failed to address the nation about the spiritual crisis we faced. Someone needed to come out into the open and challenge the nation about their fantasy of immortality, for example. No, Mr Smith, you won't live forever and we can't close down your grandchildren's school to give you one extra year of life. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs is the best chaplain to the nation of my lifetime. For many years he was the unofficial Archbishop of Canterbury for educated people on the airwaves. If he were alive, he would have risen to that challenge. Welby just froze and said nothing memorable. He volunteered as a hospital chaplain. Did he really think that more support for the NHS was what was needed from our spiritual leader at the point in time when we were going outside our homes to clap the nurses, but churches were shut. He made a point of showing us his DIY home communion to promote online worship. Whoopee, so what? A strong, creative, spiritual leader would have made so much more of the pandemic. So has he been a dud who played all the Archbishop roles badly? No, not at all. He's played several of the Archbishop roles rather well. I fastened on to his education, but what's more unusual about his CV is not what he did at school, but what he did in his 20s. He was an oil company executive working close to the oil fields of Africa. Most top clergy get ordained youngish without much work experience. Justin had a serious management job which pushed back his ordination well into his 30s. In fact, he wasn't ordained until a year after me. But I have to say, he's caught up rather well. Church is an institution and some poor person has got to manage it like a chief executive. Justin Welby is probably the best chief executive we've had in the church for a long time. 
He knows how to run an organisation. The well-being reforms have been modest, proportionate tweaks to a few of our processes, things like picking out and preparing potential bishops. If anything, I would like him to go further. Someone said he's the most financially literate archbishop for centuries, and I would like to see him address church finances, which could really do with his attention. Now, people like, for instance, Martin Percy get very upset, throwing around words like managerialism, as though Welby hadn't quite realised that he was no longer running an oil company. Now that Welby's been in office for a decade, his reforms mostly seem to have bedded down quite well with general acceptance. They won't save the church, as his fans hope, but they won't sink it, as his critics warn. They are probably sensible, but overall they won't make that much difference to the church's long-term future. Whatever difference they make, I think will be, on net balance, positive. I sense he's done a good job with the Anglican Communion, visiting and building relationships. Having worked in the developing world himself probably has helped. And yet this is where the sharpest personal rejection has come from. Not a few national church leaders around the world have publicly disowned him this year. So this takes us to his role in managing domestic church politics, principally in the General Synod. He steered women bishops through, despite it having defeated his predecessor. If you listen to episode 27 of Church Ahead, you know I think the process of living in love and faith was a wise response to growing discontent about sexuality within the church. Since then, Welby has led the bishop's response to LLF and brought forward the measures to introduce blessings for same-sex couples in church, but for the time being, no same-sex marriage. So what do I think of this? Well, once again, I think he's read the room right. He's correctly recognised two things. Number one, the old-school prohibition of gay sex will not hold any more. But two, there is not yet a basis for same-sex marriage. The church hasn't even had the conversation yet. We're looking today at the man and his ministry, so what I would say is don't underestimate how far Justin Welby has had to come to say that same-sex relationships will not be condemned but can be blessed. Many English liberals trivialise this. The African bishops have correctly spotted he has crossed quite a significant line for someone with his church background. They attack him ferociously. I support him. And if the church fractures over these disputes, I think it would be very unfair to blame Justin Welby. I can't imagine any other bishop handling these tensions better. But of course, much of the flack is aimed at him. What do I think of him as a human being? Whilst I think he's made some mistakes, there's nothing about him on a personal level that grates me. I welcome his openness about grief and losing a child and the reality of depression. Again, he would hardly have learned this openness and humility at the school he went to. What about Justin's theological output? 
Remember, he's following in the footsteps of Anselm and Cranmer, some of the greatest English theologians. Well, never mind the greatest, he can't even bear the comparison with his immediate predecessor. I'm going to put it like this. I could listen to Rowan Williams' theological reflections all day long. With Justin Welby, I would be bored within a few minutes. He's just too straight and not very creative. He's good at bull all right, but saying something interesting? Forget it. So do we miss Rowan? Wouldn't I rather have a Rowan or a Rowan too in Lambeth Palace leading the church in public today? No, not really. Although Williams is more my sort of church leader, I think Welby has probably been a better archbishop. Rowan was too otherworldly to run an organisation. Justin is the natural leader of an institution. He really is an Etonian born to rule. And if we compare him to that other Etonian who led the nation into lockdown from Downing Street, well, unlike that one, Justin is actually quite good at government. He can give you the ball and he can do the detail of competent administration. So what's our verdict overall? I think people often make the mistake of judging an Archbishop of Canterbury by pointing out one area where they were weak. I prefer to turn the thing round and say, of all those different roles, were they good at any of them? And I think we've seen that he mastered quite a few of the roles. So I think it's only fair to say that Justin Welby is a pretty good Archbishop. But what I would really love to know is how he will be seen in 50 years' time. Because I think Justin Welby has been the most consequential Archbishop of my lifetime. You certainly can't accuse him of sitting around twiddling his thumbs for the last decade. He's done lots of things. I think he's done lots of things right and one big thing wrong in closing down the churches for COVID. And what I would really like to know is which will have the bigger effect in the long run. He's done lots of things to help church survive if not grow, and one big thing to make church shrink. I don't know what will be the net result. Of course, God will be his judge, not church ahead. Oh, I nearly forgot. One more thing against him. At the end of our LLF episode, I said I would give him three cheers if he invited me for tea at Lambeth Palace. Justin, I'm still waiting. Earl Grey tea, please, and a scone with jam. Thank you for listening to episode 53. We're only two weeks away now from our new series about politics. In this series of senior church leaders, last week we were top man York. Today, top man Canterbury. Next week, even higher, top man, where could it possibly be? Join me next Friday to find out. <laughs>